0: Uh, This song we have before us this morning, Psalm chapter 8, is uh, one of my favorite songs in the whole Bible. It might be one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and that's largely because it combines two of my deepest passions in life. Oh, sorry. My first passion is to get the kids to go to catechism before the sermon starts. Uh, If kids uh, who are catechism age uh, can go, uh, they can line up uh, by that door over there, and uh, they'll have a lot of fun. Uh, while they're going, anyways, two of my combines two of my greatest passions in life. One of those is nature, and the other one is existential insecurity. Um, I have always said that the picture that describes me most is Derek Zoolander looking into a puddle, going, "Who am I?" And you might be here. Uh, uh, that might be just how you're wired. Um, always anxious about questions like these. Uh, you might be more of a realist. Uh, who wants to say that I just have too much going on right in front of me to care. Uh, But what this psalm is going to do is it's going to give us questions to ask this morning, uh, which are probably already in our hearts, but it's going to do that. It's not actually going to give us some of the answers we're always looking for, uh, but it's going to give us something much more valuable. So let's go and read Psalm 8. Uh, This is God's Word. Our Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the depths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we humbly come before you and ask your help this morning. I pray that your word that is preached will be true, and that it would be helpful, and that you would be seen clearly, uh, but would you do what only you can do uh, to work deep into our hearts, uh, that you would enter into the mysteries, uh, the struggles that are there, and would you give us yourself, uh, that we might have peace and joy in worship, in Jesus' name, amen. I think what this psalm is going to illustrate for us is, um, it's really a simple point, and that is that. Uh, we are all going through life. Uh, we have a lot of information that comes at us um, in many ways all the time, and yet we are looking at that information from a very small and a very particular vantage point, and that we are always trying to make sense of what is going on around us um, from our one little perspective on the world, and we're trying to make uh, big decisions on big things. Uh, I saw an um, It was an interview with an actress, um, and she was just commenting when asked about, you know, does she believe in God or anything like that? And her response was that, um, I don't think so. I think the only thing I know is that we are tiny little specks in the middle of an infinite universe. And I think we're all much smaller than we give ourselves uh, credit. And I would say that's true. Um, That information is totally true. Um, but it does give, it brings up these questions of what's, what's the meaning of things? Uh, what do we make of all of this? And it, it extends bigger than just, uh, it extends to more than just some of these big existential questions. Uh, we see this in relationships. Uh, just most recently, uh, Lauren and I went up to, um, and our family went up to St. Louis a couple weeks ago for our denominations General Assembly. And the whole way up there, uh, we spent a lot of time just rehearsing um, a particular time in our life where we were in seminary. That's where we went to seminary. Uh, we showed up with two kids and left with four kids, uh, kind of uprooted uh, our life and moved to St. Louis. And it was an entirely different place. It was a different life. It was very, very busy. Uh, there were a lot of things going on. And what it did is it pressed all kinds of questions upon us um, about what we are doing, um, what is the meaning of it all, and even our own relationship. Like, I mean, we were recounting that when we first got there and got busy and got doing the seminary thing, and uh, we, Laura and I both looked at the situation from very different vantage points. Like for her, there was a very real risk of being what they call a seminary widow, that he's going to be gone um, in school and very, very busy, and I'm going to be here alone with the kids. And that was a very anxious, insecure place uh, that I did not always help uh, to alleviate. And for me, there was also the sense that there was a lot of work to be done. There was a task um, and needed companionship um, um, and support through the whole thing. And both of us looking at it from our own vantage point came to the same conclusion, uh, that we are all alone and that we are going to have to journey through this together. And fortunately, we've come a long way since then. The Spirit has done work and He's brought a lot of this stuff up, but we were just recounting for each other what this was like, and we had a new perspective to ask. Um, I mean, we were asking, what is ministry like? You know, we, had, we had never been in it before. And those were just, that's a concrete situation that I can go to to remember the kinds of uh, questions that we have in our life that actually run pretty deep. Um, We have questions about people. We are trying to decide who people are, what they're about. Uh, We're looking at um, just the events, current events in life, and trying to put them into a story. Uh, Where is this going? Uh, Where's the story of the world headed? Um, in all kinds of ways. The way, we even look at our neighbors and we say, they are happy and they have all of this uh, stuff and they have all these things going on and I'm not happy. Why is that? And we're trying to interpret this information and we're trying to make meaning of just a vast amount of information that is coming our way. And that, that just described one of the fragile aspects of being a human. That we are humans in the middle of a big world. There is lots of stuff going on and we exist in a particular place. We are looking at it all from one particular vantage point. And, but I want to show here that you know, what we're going to see in this psalm is that it gives us these questions. It's inviting us to ask these kind of existential questions. Who are we and what are we all about? And it's not actually, the answer is a little bit interesting. It's not actually what we often want. And that the answer is not always the answer to all of the riddles it's not going to give us all the information about um, what happens in the realm of creation. It's not going to solve all of the big mysteries of life for us. But where it's taking us is in verse 1 and verse 9, it's the exact same verse, repeated again uh, twice, which is showing us that this is what it's all about. That what this psalm is giving us is it is giving us worship. And that at the end of the day with the questions and with the mysteries that we have rather than without having all the answers that we want, that God actually gives us everything we need for peace and for trust and for love, for our lives to be dedicated towards Him, um, even in the midst of uh, the questions we might have. So that's what we're unpacking here. I really have two points. Um, I think this is leading us to, a- to ask um, that what has God given us? What is this that he has given us? Um, that we can have this peace and satisfaction in life even from our finite position, and then how do we get it? And I'm gonna answer both of these by framing it in terms of I think the psalm is calling us to just two actions that we're to take from it. One is to receive God's advances and the second is to join with him uh, in his work. Uh, so we're gonna start here in the first place. Um, that he is, he is calling on us to receive his advances. And we see this immediately in verse 1. I mean, how does it start? It says, Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That in all the earth, everything that was made, there's a lot of stuff that can be observed, but behind it all, that there's actually something very personal. It's the Lord's name that is majestic in all the earth. There is a point beyond it other than just what is. That there is a personality and there is a person who is there able to be known. And that is God himself. And we go on there again, he says, um, uh, at the end of verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. That's in the whole theater of things, that his Christ's glory is proclaimed. and is proclaimed throughout um, the whole creation. That there is, there is no shortage of information that we can get by looking at the world. I mean, we, you, we can deep dive, we can look, we can explore, and there is so much information about how the world works that we can look into and we can know. But this is bringing up for us, the question is not just how the world works, but there's a who question. And there is a who that is behind it. There is a person who is there who is actually desiring um, to be known. Uh, That's why I put this quote from Derek Kidner in the beginning of this, of the worship folder, which I really like a lot. He says, man has been taught to say, uh, thy and thou in such a setting, speaking of the array of creation, Not only to acknowledge a creator, but also to converse with him. There's a personality behind everything that exists. But that leads us to this extra question. Um, It's not just that does he exist. It's not just that there's a personality behind um, all the things that we see in creation. But he also wants us to ask, how does he want to be known? Does he just want us to know that he exists? Or is there something else? And even though this word love is actually not in this psalm, um, I just want to point out a few things about this, um, just to make this point, that it is not just a communication that exists, but he is actually making a profession of love to human beings through everything that that exists. Um, You see that clearly in verse 3 and 4, you see these in these questions, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Which is wrestling with this reality that not only are we small and the creation is big, but that God has actually attached his personal care and his personal attention on human beings. This is all human beings. When he says son of man here, this just means anyone descendant of the human race. Uh, that there is a special, in the breadth of what God is, that he has actually a particular attention that he has given to people, which is characterized by his, um, his particular care for them. But even there, if you'll back up, look at verse 2. It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Which is what, what this is saying here is that in God's infinite wisdom, he uses the small things in order to accomplish his will, that he has dignified even the weak things that could be preyed upon, and he uses them um, in order to proclaim his strength. But see, out of the mouth of babies and infants, there's something, if we don't see there's something maternal here, I think we're kind of missing what he is getting at. That This is a deep relational care uh, that God has given to um, human beings, as if a mother caring for babies and infants. And then the last thing I'll point out in verse 5 when he says that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Uh, these aren't the exact words that, he, that are described of God's, but they are in the same field. That the, God, the glory of God who is in the heavens, that he has actually bestowed this upon human beings. That there is a glory that he has that he has given as a gift to share with human beings. And what's the overall effect of this? It is much deeper then does God exist? It is that. But through the whole wonder of what we experience in the world, these are like the advances of love. Like a lover coming to his beloved, who is extending to his people himself, and he is inviting inviting us to share with him in his love. It is his love that is being proclaimed for his people uh, to you and to me. Uh, I've, I knew a couple people one time. Um, Laura and I will laugh about this sometimes, but um, a friend of ours, he was a gift giver. You know, some of you are gift givers that, you know, we all express love in different ways, but he, had a, he, he just liked to give people gifts. He was really handy at making things um, and would be always giving them to people. And we had another friend who was a female that um, was the recipient of some of these gifts. And then the gifts kept coming and they kept coming. And It became clear there were more gifts coming to her than were coming to everybody else. And after a while, you know where we're going. The gifts weren't just gifts, like to everybody else. He was actually um, um, professing affection um, for this girl through the gifts. What God is doing in creation is what He is desiring of us is that we would recognize His advances of love for us and that we would receive them uh, just as that uh, for what they are. And how do we do this? Um, I think this psalm gives us a few um, d- examples of how we receive this, um, these advances of God and love. Um, and that is giving us lenses to see it clearly. Um, but in verse three, when he says, when I look at, the, at your heavens and the work of your fingers, um, it takes looking. I think the first way that we receive the love of God is just to pay attention, uh, to see, to have our eyes open so that we can see what he is about. Uh, Often we see this in nature. I want to read, it's a little bit of a long quote, but this is from Annie Dillard in Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Um, uh, It's a fairly well-known quote, but I think sums this up very beautifully. Uh, She says, there seems to be a thing, such a thing as beauty, a grace, wholly gratuitous, About five years ago, I saw a mockingbird made a straight vertical descent from a roof gutter of a four-story building. It was an act as careless and spontaneous as the curl of a stem or the kindling of a star. The mockingbird took a single step in the air and dropped. His wings were still folded against the sides as though he were uh, singing from a limb and not falling, accelerating at 32 feet per second through empty air, just a breath before he would have been dashed to the ground, he unfurled his wings with exact deliberate care, revealing the broad bars of white, spread his elegant white-banded tail, and so floated onto the grass. I had just rounded a corner when his insouciant step caught my eye. I had to look that word up. It just means careless. His insouciant step caught my eye. There was no one else in sight. And the fact of his free fall was like the old philosophical conundrum about the tree that falls in the forest. The answer must be, I think, that beauty and grace are performed whether or not we will sense them. The least we can do is try to be there. Paying attention, just simple paying attention, going through life with eyes open and nurturing a sense of curiosity is one of the ways that we can receive um, God's communication, that He is doing it all the time. Uh, we are surrounded by a glory and a grace and wonder um, that is a personal advance of love uh, that is there for us to grasp. and This can be done in all kinds of ways. I want to say something to the kids for a second. Um, well, some of the adults in here are in the field of, uh, working in the field of science, um, and that you, uh, well, your job is to look into uh, the wondrous things of the world that God has made, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, some of you kids are thinking about what you're going to do in life, and I just want to say that the fields of sciences are really good things. Uh, they, this is an entering into God's personality as we are entering into the works of just observing um, who God is and what he is about. And we're given a framework to look into these things. But I do fostering a sense of curiosity um, in the sciences is a very good and rewarding thing as part of how we receive um, God's love for us. But beyond paying attention, there's a, uh, the second way we can receive it, I think, is just to rehearse the music. And that this is, this is a psalm we have given that is a song that is given for us to sing. Because just how hard it is for us with the information that is coming at us every day and how much that information is, uh, it is difficult to interpret. But we are given psalms and psalms like this as a regular practice to rehearse again and again who is God and what is He about and who are we here for. And so being guided um, by the scripture, by the Psalms, uh, by the way that the life around us is interpreted is an important aspect of receiving um, his advances of love. And I want to say this, as we do this, why that part um, is important. Because many of us, we are walking around every day um, and we are looking at our lives and it is very easy to come to the conclusion that we are alone. There is a vast sea of people out there And we have a small space in the world. Creation is big, and we are very small. Sometimes we feel like we only exist in the four walls of our house. Uh, Sometimes life is just really, really hard. Uh, We feel the futility of work. And it is very easy to conclude that we are all alone. Uh, Nobody cares. Life is nasty, brutish, and short. And it is for us to just make our way through it. And that's not the case. There is a whole array of communication of God, not only that he exists, but that he sees you and that he is moving towards you as a lover, particularly so that you can know him and share in his love. That's the first thing this thing is calling us to do, is to receive his advances of love um, through the world that he has made. And moving on to the next point, I think if you've ever, you put yourself in the shoes of when you've actually approached a significant other, uh, you asked them out on a date or something like that, uh, you probably had two things in your mind. Uh, First was more obvious than the other, uh, you just didn't want to be rebuffed. Uh, You wanted a yes answer uh, so you didn't feel embarrassed. But there was probably also that little voice in the back of your head, a curiosity that maybe you might want to spend the rest of your life with this person. That there is another step beyond us, other than just receiving the courting of the other party, and that is life as a whole. And this psalm actually takes us there. And then the second stage is actually to share uh, in God's life with Him. And just look at verses five through eight. If we go on, what does He say about human beings? He says, "Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet." All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And we can't read this without remembering back to Genesis 1. That the whole world came about because God in himself, in his perfect communion with himself, was not content to just sit with himself. But out of his love, he created a vast cosmos. And he created a people to share with. But as he has done that, he is actually sharing his work with human beings. This is built into us. He has called us to have dominion over his world so that his world would know the name of God in every corner. And the fact that this appears in Psalm 8 is just one of the many signs in the Bible that this calling has not gone away one little bit. This is still at the core of what it means to be a human being. And dominion he is talking about is not the oppressive kind of dominion that we are talking about, but the kind of nurture that can coax out of what is made the fullest extent of its beauty and of its grace and its power for its own sake so that God's name would be glorified. And we, I, one writer put, put it really well, this is so worked into our DNA, we are exercising dominion whether, uh, um, whether or not we try to. The question is not whether we are exercising dominion, but how we are doing it and who we are doing it for. And this is a reaffirmation of this calling that God has actually sent us on in life with him to share in his life and what he is up to. He has called us to nurture the things that are. He has called us to not sit with the grace that we have been given on our own, but to share it freely and to see it expand uh, further and further and further. And what does that look like in particular? Um, In the first place, this is kind of funny to think about. um, The things that he lists a lot are animals. The animals in particular are one of the gifts that he has given human beings to steward. And some of you have pets. Um, Some of you are not animal people. Uh, Some love them and some are kind of indifferent to them. But there is something about that this... That even taking care of animals is a way to actually fellowship with God. Because it is a way to share with the bestowing of love and care of something that God has made. And that makes us think. And I'm not, you know, this is a I'm not saying this is a this is not an anti-hunting or fishing sermon or something like that. But animals have value. And the way that we take care of animals actually reflects um, something about God um, and who He is. Um, that there is a, a calling of love. Uh, Proverbs even says um, that the righteous man is the one who shows um, good care for his beast, um, that the animals matter. Um, we had a, a funeral for one of our chickens this last week. Um, and it was, it was a really special time um, in our family to remember life um, and death Um, stewardship, and the hope of glory that is to come. But of course, it extends further than just animals. It extends to all aspects of his creation. And this is not just care for those who care for nature. This is every aspect of the economy, of government, of human beings working together, of community, in a way that stewards uh, what God has made. He has not called us out in the world, but he has called his people back into the world to take delight in the things that he has made to exercise dominion in a way where he is known and the way he would be proud. So your job is actually participating. It is part of your life of faith. Your community life is actually part of the life of faith. And this is an invitation for all of us in our curiosity about what God has made to actually love what he has made and to love it in the same way uh, that he does. But that actually that brings us to a big problem. And that if we look around, I mean, just think about your own job for a second. Is your own job characterized by love and uh, creativity and all things working in harmony and um, spreading the name of God everywhere? Or do you have a headache waiting for you on Monday when you get back? It's going to feel like a Monday, uh, you'll probably say. that There is a futility to this work that we all feel. Our bodies are breaking down. Uh, They're not working in the way they were intended. Um, Our relationships are strained. Um, You can read any statistic you want about the um, disappearance of tree species and topsoil and all these things and just to see that there is evidence that things are not working the way that they were intended. And what do we make of this? And this is where, from David's standpoint... As a part of the covenant member of God's people, he has these commitments in Psalm 8 where he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy in the adventure. That God's character is still committed to his original intention that David would have known that he is trustworthy to carry it through until the end. But there's something more, and this is why we read Hebrews chapter 2. If you'll flip back over and look at it, This is quoting this psalm. And then at the end here where he says, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. And yet we do not see everything in subjected to him. The him here is human beings. It's talking about the dominion that has been given to human beings. All that God has has been given as a gift for dominion over human beings. But we don't see it. We don't see it in our own lives and we don't see it corporately. But who do we see? Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What God has done in Jesus is that he has made his love terribly concrete. He has interpreted the meaning of the world in a very concrete way. And that he sent his only son as a display of his commitment to finish this story over the end, to the end, to keep his covenant promises. He sent him as a forgiveness of sins that even we, when I, I mean when I look at my own life, um, I'm probably one of the most hypocritical environmentalists that exists. Um, you know, sometimes you just you're just tired, and um, I don't think about what I eat and what I buy and the effect that that has and that's something that continues to characterize my life. But Jesus has come to affirm his conviction even for the forgiveness of sins. To bring his people to himself to make us wash us and make us clean. But it is not only that. He has called us so he can give us his spirit so that we can share in his life with him. He is the commitment that this story through death and resurrection it will end with the resurrection, it will end with the renewal of all things. And he has, as he has called us into this work, he is calling us into this work not alone but with him. And the reason we can share in his life with him is because he came and he has shared his life with us. And so the invitation then is by faith to receive his advances that have been made so clear in the person of Jesus Christ but also an invitation and to share in this resurrection life with him. To look forward in hope, to look forward in thanksgiving, and ultimately to exist within this theater of creation from a vantage point of worship. And that is where peace and that is where security comes from. I'm going to leave it here with this quote. This is a, I'm getting all my favorite authors in here, so... um, this is a writer. His name is Brad East, but he is uh, writing about Wendell Berry, and this is what he says about um, Berry's approach to the environment, environmental work. It says for half a century, Berry's poetry and prose have bristled with irritation, outrage, and indignation, but it has always lacked desperation. The absence of desperation is not, from Berry's perspective, a failure to recognize the gravity of the situation nor does he recommend private virtue as a solution, as in set opposite uh, corporate virtue. His posture, rather, is a conscious decision rooted at once in a way of apprehending the world as a gift that precedes and encompasses us, what Marilyn Robinson calls the givenness of things and a corresponding response that accepts one place in it. Such a stance of humility and gratitude is not one among other viable options. The world calls it forth in us. And without it, we are lost. Christ is committed to his creation. He is committed to you. And he has given you a dignified and a valuable place within it. What is called you to do is to receive what he has given. To receive his gift that is given to you out of unmerited grace. And from that vantage point, we are actually able to walk forward not in desperation. In realism, recognizing what the world is like around us but nonetheless to move forward in hope. Uh, So let's stop there and pray that the Lord would would continue to nurture that hope within us. Father, send your spirit upon us, uh, we ask again. Would you convict us of our sin? But in that place uh, where we recognize um, our own dominion and how it can go so badly so many times, Uh, that you would shower us with the grace of Jesus and you would give us a hope uh, that pushes us forward, that joy and peace and satisfaction in your good world would be something that characterizes our life and that that would be infectious to the world around us. In Christ's name, amen.